motherhood, and work. There isn't a right way or best way to juggle these, despite what you've heard or been told. No, really, there's not. Part-time work has been the best fit for me and my family, but it's tough to navigate any gray area of motherhood when you don't fit neatly in a box. My name is Tiana Fesh, and welcome to the Part-Time Jungle Podcast, where we are going to build conversation and community around swinging motherhood and work in a way that works best for us and our families. No matter your path, it's an adventure with highs, lows, and in-betweens. Let's explore together. Welcome to the Part-Time Jungle Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am so excited to be here with our guest today, Katrina LeMay-Doan. Katrina has represented Canada in speed skating in four Olympic Games. She took her place in the Canadian Olympic history books at Salt Lake City in 2002, where she became the first Canadian athlete to successfully defend an Olympic gold medal in an individual event. Katrina had been a double medalist four years earlier at Nagano in 1998, winning the 500-meter gold in Olympic record time and winning a bronze medal in the 1,000 meters. She was also given the honor of carrying the Canadian flag at the closing ceremony. Katrina was the world's dominant female sprinter of the 1997-98 season. In November 1997, she became the first woman to break the 38-second barrier in the 500 meters, skating it in 37.90 seconds in Calgary. She lowered the mark five more times over the next four years, eventually setting the record at 37.22 seconds in December 2001, which stood until March 2007. At the 1998 World Single Distances Championships, she won gold in the 500 meter and silver in the 1000 meter. She was also crowned World Sprint Champion and was the overall World Cup Champion in the 500 meter and 1000 meter. That dominance continued as she won the 500 meter world title in 1999 and 2001 to go with a bronze medal in 2000. With her impressive resume, Katrina was named Canadian flag bearer for the opening ceremony at Salt Lake City 2002, her fourth Olympic Games. She skated to another Olympic record, one that would not be broken until Sochi 2014 to win her second straight gold medal in the 500 meters. She was named the 2002 recipient of the Lou Marsh Award as Canada's Athlete of the Year and earned her third career Bobby Rosenfeld Award as Canadian Female Athlete of the Year. Since her retirement from speed skating, Katrina has been heavily involved in the community through such organizations as the Saskatoon Foundation and the Katrina LeMaydone Endowment for Children and Youth. She is also an ambassador for the Spina Bifida and Hydrocephalus Association of Canada, Right to Play, and Special Olympics Canada. She served on the board of directors for the Vancouver Organizing Committee for the 2010 Olympic Winter Games and is a board member of the Canada Games Council and the Canadian Sport Institute of Calgary. Since 2019, she has been the president and CEO of Sport Calgary. Katrina was part of the broadcast team at five Olympic Games, earning a Gemini for Best Sports Analyst for her speed skating work at Vancouver 2010. 
She has received three honorary degrees from the University of Calgary, the University of Saskatchewan, and the University of Regina, giving the convocation speech to their graduating classes. Katrina was inducted to Canada's Sports Hall of Fame in 2005 and the Canadian Olympic Hall of Fame in 2008 and appointed an Officer of the Order of Canada. Katrina served as the lead athlete mentor for Team Canada at Pyeongchang 2018 and will be Team Canada's chef de mission at the Beijing 2022 Olympic Winter Games. She is also a mom of two kids. Thank you so much for joining me today, Katrina. My pleasure. Thank you. So I have a number of questions for you today, but where I wanted to start was asking you what have been some of the highlights of your experiences as an Olympian and world champion, but also how have those experiences influenced your journey in motherhood and work? Do we have a few hours? (laughs) What's interesting is I think everything comes back to perspective. And for me as an athlete, it's sort of, it's your world and fair or not, athletes would agree. And I think those who haven't been in that world might not understand. It's, it's a bit of a do or die and it's a little bit of life and death. You put that much pressure on yourself. People might not see it, but the nation puts pressure, media puts pressure. And so there's, there's so much, but you, you don't really acknowledge it at the time. For me, it actually probably took years, almost 10 years for it to really sink in. But you're so focused as an athlete. It's everything when you're a bit of a perfectionist. So literally, you just you just go forward. And so one thing I regret, and this is what I try to talk to athletes about now, is to stop once in a while and to take it in. Literally for a moment, just stop. And so... There is sometimes that I would do that, but less so probably at a games because you're so focused on your event. And, and for me, there was no round robin. There's just an, one event. So I think it's a bit different when you're in a round robin or heats and semis. Even I've talked to team athletes where they can have a bad shift. My race was 37 seconds. I could not have a mistake. So it's a bit of a different perspective. And all you do is focus, focus, focus. You have to be very selfish. And so when I retired from competitive sport, within one year I had my daughter. And what you realize is that it's not all about you. And I think some people struggle with that. I loved it, but I also didn't forget about me. And so that was one of the big things is I continued to do stuff that I was passionate about. I continue to now. People would say what they wanted. Not everybody liked that I would do that, which was very difficult. And from that, I learned to have very thick skin and and be tougher than I wanted to be. But what I love is that throughout my entire life and continued now with two teenagers, I've showed them that you can work hard, you can be passionate, you can drive towards things But for a moment, you need to have a perspective and you need to look around and go, this is what's important. That's okay. I can put that on hold. So as an athlete, you don't have that opportunity. And so that that's a little bit of what I've taken, but also what I've learned to do differently. Do you have a favorite memory from your times in the Olympics or at the world championships? 
Oh, that is, honestly, that's like saying which of your children's your favorite. <laughs> different moments. Like I went to four Olympics. They all have a different spirit. So there were things that I loved about the games, things that I disliked about the games. Probably my best memories, though, of competing were some of the places we got to see. There's a tiny little town in Italy, which is on top of a mountain. It has about five guest houses, some cafes, a church, and an oval. And on the sunny days, you would be on the ice and you'd look out at the Dolomite Mountains and just think life does not get any better than this. So there were those moments that to me are my favorite, which were probably our best team moments because there's a little less stress. You're just all joking around. So during my competitive days, there were there were loves and hates to everything, but those are the things that I really remember, the places we got to see that towns nobody will ever see unless they're a speed skater. That is incredible. I, I would have loved to have been in that little town just from the little bit that you described of it. It just sounded absolutely magical. Now, as well, you've had times of transition in your working career and a diversity of amazing opportunities. What has this journey been like for you in terms of successes, challenges, and strategies that have helped you along the way? What I find interesting is people always know highlights or they might know successes, but they don't know the behind the scenes, which is why I love to now talk about them. And I say now because it's taken me a while to, to, to be okay with stuff. When I retired from sport, people always said, it's a tough transition. And I have said the opposite to athletes. Don't expect it to be hard because it wasn't hard for me, but it will be hard at some point. So for me, it was about 10 years later when my kids were old enough that if I wasn't around, they would still survive. And, and I kind of stopped and I was still doing broadcast and public speaking. And I, and I actually kind of stopped and went, what am I going to do when I grow up? Because I'd had to put school on hold because of sport. So I've worked my butt off at staying relevant. I've worked my butt off at, at doing different things. But at some point, you need to have people open doors rather than as an athlete, you are in charge, right? You do the work and all that. So it was really tough. But at 40, I think it was 45, 44, 45, I had my first real job interview. So I made a resume and I mean, it, it's pretty intimidating and people kind of say, well, it wasn't really your first job interview. Actually it was because as much as I had to try out for the broadcasting, it was, it was a bit of second nature. And I think they just kind of went through the motions, but because I'd been public speaking, because I was comfortable in front of the camera, I was sort of assumed I would take on that role, but to have my actual first job interview in a position where if you look at my resume, like I, I can, I can handle stress situations, but really was I qualified on paper? What I learned and what I always try to encourage people is you have to sell yourself regardless of what age, regardless of what you're in. And you have to almost fake it to a point, but it was pretty intimidating. And people, when I, when I often tell people that they say, oh, well, they brush it off, but it's like, no, I, I don't care what your successes are in other places. At some point, you're sort of the bottom of the totem pole and you have to be okay with that and work your butt off to make yourself relevant. And it, it was intimidating, but 
kind of exhilarating at the same time. So after going through that interview process, how did you feel? Anxious. I wonder why my daughter is so anxious because she's a mini me. It's tough because you have to be ready to take disappointment. So I had been asked to apply. And so the position I applied for, I didn't get, but then they gave me a different position as a bit of a learning situation. So, I mean, blessing in disguise, because it it really was what I needed. It's intimidating. And I don't care what age you are. And I think half of the CEOs of major companies, I guarantee half of them are nervous about things and they're just good actors. So I think that's sometimes what we have to remember is that all these people in, in high up positions, they don't know everything either. I just always have to remind myself it's okay. And I, as, as a leader in my organization right now, I'm okay to say, yeah, I don't get this. I mean, I'm not a finance person. So budgeting stuff, oh, I need help from everybody. So it, it, I'm okay with that now, but I've, but I've had to learn to be okay with it. That is a really good perspective. Cause I think sometimes we feel like we have to be a hundred percent ready for something and have, all our ducks in a row. And that's not necessarily the case at all. Like we can do so many things and learn along the way and admit when we don't know and ask for that support or ask questions of other people. And with that, I'm curious, you know, so much we hear about the idea of having a village in motherhood and with the busy juggle that that is. And I'm wondering how has having a village helped you in motherhood and work and who are some of the important people in your village? Well, see, I'm probably going to go where (laughs) most people don't go is that you have to accept a village and I don't always accept it. So I'm a little bit of a, not, I'm not a martyr. That's my oldest sister. (laughs) (laughs) She is the firstborn is usually the martyr. I just don't let people know if I'm struggling. That's that. And that is, it's a strength, but my goodness, it's a weakness as well. So I've always just kind of done it and put my head down and you just kind of do it. So when my daughter was first born for the first two years, I just traveled with her everywhere. And you know what? It makes people adoptable. And there was nothing that I didn't, that I worried about because I would go to Toronto once a week and a friend of mine, I would I would use their nanny in the evenings when I had to work. It was just what we did and it was awesome. And then when Greta was three, Easton came along. And so then it was like, okay, now I have two. I can't travel with them. It was just kind of put your head down and go and continue to do stuff. But again, it was sort of, people were around to help. But my parents, they were in Saskatoon and they're, they're older. And so they were, and my mom had always said, I want to be a grandparent, not a caregiver. And she really made that distinction. You know, she could help at times, but, and my sisters weren't in the city at the time. So you just kind of find help, but I was never super open to having this village because I've always been sort of do it myself because I don't like asking for help. So that was something I had to learn probably, I mean, more so Maybe I was going to say I'm I'm separated maybe when that happened, but then my kids were a bit older. But I think that's sort of what I had to do is I had to learn. It was okay to ask for help. As much as when people ask me for help, I I welcomed it. I just kind of wouldn't let myself go there. So it's a tough thing because I'm sort of a, I can do it all. And I get a little bit of this from my mom, which again, strength, but a weakness also. 
I can definitely relate to that. And I've shared this story before, but when we had our third, a mom that now is one of my best friends told me she was going to pick up our oldest and take him to preschool for me. So she didn't ask. She said, that's what she was going to do. <laughs> and I tried to say no, that I was fine. It would be fine. I, I, I didn't need the help, but she insisted. And I tell you that day that she came to pick him up and take him and I picked him up later, but it was the best gift ever. <laughs> it was such a huge help. So I, I can appreciate what you're saying. It's hard. It's hard yeah. to kind of ask for that help or accept that help, even when it's being offered to you. But yes, for sure. And I know that right now, so you're currently the president and CEO of Sport Calgary and I'm curious, what do you love about this role and why is it so important to grow community sport? I've been in this role for about a year and a half and I rely on my, we're, we're just a team of four. But as I mentioned, I mean, you know, I don't know everything. I, I will work hard to learn stuff, but budgeting stuff, I rely on my colleague. I'm like, okay, take me through. What does this mean again, right? And it's sort of that stuff. And I would always assume beforehand, President and CEO should know everything and be able to do everything. And that's not true. I think as a leader, I, I have a different way of leading than, than the previous leader. I'm more about that connection and more about people. And that's what I'm passionate about. But also, as you mentioned, the community sports side, because I know what sport has done for me and I am still active and at times not as active as I should be. But it's something that will be with me for life. Because I don't want in, in 20 years, I just turned 50, I don't want in 20 years to not be able to go outside and hike and walk my dogs and cross-country ski and do those sort of things. And I didn't grow up in a, in a sport family. My, my sisters and I are sporty, but my parents, they came over from Scotland. My mom grew up in Glasgow, smoked since she was 14, because that's what people did who were born in the 30s and, and grew up during the war. I see how that's taken a toll on her. And so... I just know that introducing sport at whatever stage in life and being active is going to, it's not really going to change their life. It changes our country because we have such a draw on the healthcare system. And especially during a pandemic, we see how we lose the physical side, but we're losing that social connection and we lose the mental health side. So that's why I'm passionate about it. And it's a fight because people believe that sport is an extra. And to me, it should be, sport should be at the top of the list because it sort of checks all the boxes and what keeps people healthy. It really does. And during this time, it has been quite eye-opening, like the bigger picture effects of not being able to access sport in the way, well, for our family personally, we, we see it and feel it for sure and have had to get a little creative and think outside the box, which has been good in some ways as well. And I wanted to ask you, as parents, we want our kids to find their passions, that something special that really fills their soul. And just in what you're speaking of with community sport, and I'm curious, how did speed skating become that passion for you? And what has it been like for you as a mom in supporting your kids in finding their own passions? Yeah, I kind of fell into speed skating. Again, my parents are Scottish, so they've never skated a day in their life. My middle sister had discovered it. We grew up in Saskatoon, a club with a lot of history of, of developing great skaters and just a, a good sport, team sport, but individual. And so 
I kind of fell into it following my sister and her and I did a Canada Games together, which was really special. And then I just continued on. And so very different from my family because I'm the only one in my degree who doesn't have a double degree. And my family's all, my parents have always been academics. My dad was a prof. My mom was a pharmacist by schooling, became a French teacher, even though with a Scottish accent. So just kind of different, but you just kind of evolve in it. And it wasn't sort of the normal sport to follow back in the early 80s and late 70s, early 80s. But for my kids, I've never wanted to push them. My parents never pushed me. And so I'm the type that if somebody pushed me, I would go the other way. And I know that's how my daughter is. So they, I had to push her a little bit when she was little and I grew up playing ringette. So I introduced her to ringette. So she's loved ringette. They still think she's an individual sport athlete at the core, but there's so many sports she, she, with the pandemic, she can't wait. She's hoping track can start again. She loves track. And I said, I did heptathlon later in my years. I went to uh, Canada Games. Even when I was an Olympic speed skater, I did Canada Games in the summer. And I just said something like a heptathlon or multi-events. You don't have to be the fastest. You don't have to be the best jumper. You just have to be kind of good all around. And that would be how Greta is. Easton loves hockey. And it's just so tough because... You watch all the stuff happening on the side and all you want is for your kid to sort of live out their dream. So it's tough as a parent because you don't control this stuff. I now realize I don't know how my mom survived four Olympics. I realize why she drinks wine and which is why (laughs) I drink wine now, a lot of it. (laughs) But yeah, it's tough. You just have to be able to sit back. And I've never been, like, I don't cheer loud. My parents never did. When people yell things, oh my goodness, I just freak out. And I'm the type of parent that might say something to them because it just, it frustrates the heck out of me. So that's sort of the parent I am with just wanting my kids to love what they're doing. Yeah, no, it's, it is such an interesting journey. My husband grew up being very passionate about downhill skiing and not, he was not a hockey player and our older two love hockey and all on their own. So it's, (laughs) he's embraced it and it's been great. It makes it a little difficult at times to get out to the ski hill, but, but they love it. And then our youngest, he hates hockey. Well, he doesn't hate (laughs) hockey. He hates being dragged to the rink to go and watch his brothers play hockey, but he actually seems to be enjoying skiing. I think it's nice to find that something that's some way to move your body and and uh, exactly. be active and be healthy, whatever, whatever that, that thing is for sure. But I did find it rather funny that we have two hockey players in our family <laughs> yeah, now. For sure. Yeah, no, it's been great though. And I wanted to ask you too, because I know as a mom, there have been, well, in both being a mom and with work, there have been so many ups and downs and in-betweens along the way, difficult days and difficult phases of time and and stretches and then of course wonderful times as well now in being a celebrated Canadian athlete have you had to experience or overcome any challenges with being more in the public eye in motherhood and work yeah I mean as I mentioned earlier when you do your own thing people and and being a little bit in the public eye people kind of feel like they can say whatever they want to you nowadays it's different because social media you get the people who will just say whatever sort of they they hide behind that so I'll take that out of it because I think regardless that's going to happen 
regardless of if you're a mom, what age you are. People don't have the guts to actually say anything. They just want to spew it out on on social media. But I remember when uh, my kids were really little and I was traveling a lot doing public speaking and I was doing broadcasting and somebody actually came up to me at a conference and said, you've had your time. Now your time is to be at home with your kids. And it really bothered me. And I realized afterwards that I think they were saying it out of jealousy because I was still with my kids a ton, but I was also following what I was loving. And that's not everybody has that opportunity, I understand, but also I don't like to use the word sacrifice. It was just, just different choices. I didn't follow a normal path and I've never followed a normal path. And that has perks and it has stresses and, and bad things as well. So I, I had to learn to deal with that. And the other part, and people, people start to understand this and then don't, but you take people who have been a success at the Olympic level and people sort of put them in a little bit of a different category. And what I mean by that, and again, this might not be fair, but if you think about it, it's often true. If you take pro sport, and in general, most most pro sport is male oriented, whether you're talking basketball, hockey, football, baseball. And when there's some sort of something in the media, some sort of scandal, people kind of shake their heads and then move on. When there's anything to do with an Olympic athlete, people are in shock. So when I separated, people are like, oh, no, but you live this perfect life. And, and you sort of put Olympic champions on a different level. And again, that might not be fair and some people might not agree, but I've lived it and I've seen others live it. So it's difficult because I don't know if people always put amateur athletes or Olympic and Paralympic athletes they don't understand that they're real people, that they go through the financial crap, the relationship crap, all of that stuff, and, and having kids. And at moments, you just think, oh, damn kid. They don't allow you to be real. But I think what's been great, perhaps social media allows people to be a bit more real. But that's also been, I consider it a little bit of my role. And those who, who are sort of my era, let us be real so that the next generation of athletes is A, prepared for it, but B, society understands that they're going to mess up. They are not perfect and nobody is perfect, but it's been a lesson. That's for sure. Oh, I bet. And nobody is perfect, but you're right. I think people just get this idea in their mind. And then on top of that, everybody has opinions about all the things. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. Especially when it comes to being a mom, there's a lot of opinions out there for sure. Now, The juggle of motherhood and work is a busy one. And we often hear the saying that you can't pour from an empty cup. So how do you fill your cup and what has helped you to prioritize your health and wellness as a mom? I've had to adjust because I don't have my kids all the time, but pre-pandemic, I pretty much would see them all the time every day because either I was helping coach my daughter or kids were going different directions for sports. So that's been probably the biggest adjustment for me. And it's taken me a while, but what I do is I embrace it. So if I have a few hours, I actually go out cross-country skiing or I go for a hike or I take my dogs or I run to BC and I have a condo in Invermere. Maybe I work from there for a day. So 
I've, I've learned to do that. And I've learned that that's okay. Because as long as I get my work done, and I get everything done that I need, you need to take a little bit of time for yourself. And so I think what I figured out is what gives me energy. And for some people, it's people that give them energy. So especially in the pandemic, that's been very difficult. That that's not me, I kind of get energy on my own. And so I, I'm thankful for that because I've been able to recharge. doesn't mean that I don't stress about everything, but I think it's figuring out what gives you energy. And there's no right or wrong answer. And it's sometimes a trial and error, but it's figuring that out and, and not letting other people dictate what it might be. Because I think some strong personalities and some strong friends might say, oh, well, no, that's not good for you. It's like, well, how do you know, right? So I think that's the most difficult thing is for people to figure that out themselves. Yeah, it really is because we're each, we each have our own way and our own way to recharge. And you're right, some people that is around others or for some of us that's doing things on our own for sure. And I think making that time and space for that self-care, I find is such a great thing to model for our kids. And I'm curious how you've encouraged your own kids to think about their own health and and wellness and well-being and self-care as well. Well, it's interesting because my 16-year-old Greta, I mean, she is, I said, she's a bit of a mini me, which is (laughs) good and bad. She is sort of going through a tough sort of self-image side. So she hasn't done a run in a couple of days. She's like, oh my goodness, I need to go do a run. She loves, and she knows she feels better. So it's great because she knows how exercise makes her feel, but especially during a cold spell, that's more difficult and stuff like that. So she knows what gives her energy. She gets stressed about even sort of a Valentine's Day situation. She's like, oh no, what am I supposed to do? All of those things. And I get it and I can relate to her. And so I just... I said to her, the worst thing that people can say is, oh, don't stress about it because you do stress about it. So accept that you get stressed and then figure out the coping mechanisms on how to deal with that. So she's been, because I can relate to how she is, that's been easier and yet difficult because I'm just sort of going, oh my, (laughs) oh my. So they see that I go out and do different things. And again, because I'm on my own, I don't have to worry about, well, if I want to go out somewhere, I'm not checking to see what somebody else's schedule is because it's just myself and the dogs when I don't have the kids. For my son, it's been a little different because he's he's just, it's different. I'm one of three girls and this is a boy and I'm like, oh, okay, I don't quite get it. And second kid, he wants to go out and do things. And yet for him during this pandemic, he's been gaming more, but it's also, he, he connects socially then with his friends because they're online as well. So I monitor that, but I don't want to pull it away because then he'll lose that connection with his friends. So it's, it's really been tough for me. He knows sometimes when I say, let's go hiking, if we, on a Saturday, if we all have the day off, he doesn't want to. And he even said to me, he said, mommy, when we get to the mountains, he goes, I didn't want to go. And now when we're here, I love it so much. And I said, well, I'm the opposite. I want to go and we start hiking. I'm like, oh, why did we do this? (laughs) Because I'm not a hiker, but I still embrace it. So it's, it's been interesting because him and I are kind of opposite personalities. And yet he really wants to take care of me. So he's always checking that, are you okay? Is this good? So it's been interesting, but they see that I do things. And I think, again, all we can do is model 
what we know is right for us. And hopefully they watch that and they kind of figure out that they need to do something for themselves as well. Absolutely. And then find their and find their own way that way that works for them. And I I hear you on the gaming situation as well. My husband and I are not a huge fan, but especially in these times, it's so hard to find ways for them to connect with other kids, especially when the weather was so, so cold. Yes. So at least now we're happy that you can be outdoors with other people in some capacity. So that's been helpful, but I'm, I'm with you. It is a way for them to socialize. They can't have a friend over to hang out and do other things right now. So it's a tricky one. I wanted to ask you because this is just so exciting. Congratulations on being named Team Canada's Chef de Mission. Am I pronouncing it correctly? You are, yeah. Okay. (laughs) At the Beijing 2022 Olympic Winter Games. What does this role involve? What makes it so special for you? And I'm curious what your kids think of this incredible honor as well. Yeah, I mean, I talked to them before I had applied. In 2018, I was supposed to do media and I'd stepped away and took on a role as what was kind of assistant chef. So it meant when my kids actually figured out that then I would be away longer, not be on TV and not make any money. It's a volunteer role and have to take a month off of work. They thought I was crazy. But they knew that I was passionate about it. So for these games, I knew I wanted to apply for chefs. So I talked to them and they were so excited when I told them that I had been named. It's it's a spokesperson role. It's it's a leadership role. It's a sort of put the armor on and, and take sort of take all of the stuff that you don't want the athletes to be facing. And then when you get to the games, so that they can just focus on preparation. And when you get to the games... It's my role to then be at all these chef meetings, deal with anything bad that's within the happening to the team, within the team, within the games, deal with the situations. Again, not on my own because there's this whole team of Canadian Olympic Committee that, you know, has been prepping for years and decades setting up for this. But my role then is to step aside and have the focus on the athlete. So it's really sort of a leader role. It's a volunteer role. So it's tough. So you take a month off work or more. But it's something that I get what the games are about. I've seen it athlete side, media side. So I just want to help them be as prepared and have an experience and be able to do what they do. And I I think the thing about Beijing is it's, there's a lot of controversy going in, but also it's going to be an indication how sport, it'll be our recovery and sort of the coming out of the pandemic. So I think for the athletes, people are going to embrace their performances regardless of results because this is them having that resilience of of training through these weird times and being able to go and represent our country. Yeah, it is it is such an interesting time and I think that opportunity to come together and celebrate and showcase the incredible talent of the world will just mean so much more. Yeah, than ever so. before. I agree. That's going to be an incredible experience. Now, I had a few rapid fire questions for you. (laughs) Nothing too hard, but things kind of just to do with day to day. So on a busy hockey or ring at night, what's a favorite easy go to meal that you have for your family? Oh, I have a really easy, super healthy, super good chicken pasta. Literally, I grill the chicken like in a fry pan with with some spices and then put red pepper, yellow pepper, sun-dried tomatoes and broccoli and and penne and then serve it with some Greek feta. 
Easton doesn't have the pepper side. He only has broccoli, chicken, pasta. And then nobody has a sun-dried tomatoes except me. But it's <laughs> super healthy, a uh, little bit of garlic. All it is is the bit of oil from the sun-dried tomatoes, and that's it. So it's awesome. It's easy, really yummy. That sounds delicious. And it's just it's so nice to have those things just in your back pocket for those busy yeah. nights because they happen to all of us. Does your family have a favorite game or activity that you like to do? Well, we play ping pong a lot okay. uh, and pool. But for games, we play sorry, the traditional yeah. sorry. Oh, and we get so mad at each other. <laughs> uh, and Dutch Blitz, people know Dutch Blitz. And there's now that they're of the age, there's a lot of swearing around the three of us. It's it's a People who know the game, super fast, super intense. I'm going to say females are better at it because we can, we can multitask and you have to really look. Uh, it's great. I would recommend Dutch Blitz. It's a card game. Okay. It's a specific cards. It's awesome. Okay. Frustrating. That is, okay. That's what I, we haven't tried. So I'm going to have to look okay. into that one for yeah, sure. To get it. I, yes. And our family right now is enjoying Telestrations. I don't know if oh, you've played know that. that it's like telephone where you whisper a message and yeah, just yeah. Easier. that idea, but it's, you're drawing pictures and passing them around. Ooh, I like and it. <laughs> it's pretty fun. We have lots of laughs with that one. And then do you have a favorite, and it could be any or all like book, podcast, or TV show that you're enjoying? Well, just depends on the moment. And then I get into <laughs> a series and I stay up till way too late. Don't have enough sleep, but I'm actually going to give you my favorite book. It's Tuesdays with Maury. Uh, Mitch album. And if people have read it or not read it, it's a quick read, takes a couple hours. It's to me, it's just a reflection book and but it's a true story. And uh, I love it. I love it. It's just, it's a perspective book. Now in the part-time jungle, we like to keep things real about motherhood. And I'm wondering if you have, I call it like a mummy mess up, but really it's just a mistake, something you wished you had done differently or a learning opportunity that you've had as a mom. Ooh. I don't know if I would ever say anything's a mistake because it's part of a journey. Ooh, I'll tell you a story. So Greta, I was going to work the 2004 Olympics. So they're in August. I took Greta at eight weeks old. She just started sleeping through the night to my cousin's wedding. All my family, extended families in Scotland. So she was eight weeks old, took her to Scotland. So I changed the time zone by seven hours. So we're drinking a lot of gin at the B&B with the wedding and she now thinks it's daytime and she would scream so I remember being in a B&B &B, trying to go to the bathroom with her in her car seat rocking it as fast as I could to try to keep her from waking everybody else up and I mean it was just one of those why did I bring an eight-week-old to Scotland for one week but you know what? We made it through it. We all survived. It was a tough, tough and I had to get back because then I had to leave her with her dad because then I was heading over to the Olympics when, so at 10 weeks, I was leaving for a few weeks. So it was tough screw up maybe, but we survived. Yeah, you did it, right? You did, I did it. it. Oh, it was yes. rough. I know sometimes I've had those moments where you think, oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I did this to myself and here yeah. we are. <laughs> yeah. That and, was one of those. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely had those as well. And before we wrap things up, I'm just wondering if you have any final thoughts or words of wisdom for moms who are listening, who are looking for some inspiration or support with their own mom work juggles. Stop. Don't listen to people like embrace 
what people try to help you with, but take everything with a grain of salt because everybody's different and every child is different. Be real. And I think that's what I've been with my kids, especially the last few years is they see that I'm strong on certain things. They see that I'm weak and that's okay. And so there's always a fine balance. And especially now with kids my age, I'm friends with them, but I'm also their mom. I've tried to be open enough without being weird. And I see them doing that in return, but also they're honest with me. And they, my biggest thing is I won't breach confidences when they say something in confidence, it's in confidence, unless there was something that they were in danger, obviously. But yeah, I think just being real. And I think sometimes people have a hard time with that because they're not real with themselves. So they don't want to seem real with their kids, but you know what? kids kids see more than we think so that that would be my biggest thing is just be be real with yourself so that you can be real with your kids I love that message and it is so true our kids notice way more than we give them pressure Katrina I want to thank you so much for sharing your time and words of wisdom with us today if our listeners want to learn more about you, your journey, and all the amazing things ahead, where are the best places to find out more? Wikipedia is true. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know what? My social media, I, I kind of, I, I do a lot on social media. My kids now are going, my only one picture. <laughs> but I, I post everything because I just want people to see that like I'm active, but I'm real and and not everything is always great, but that's okay. So my my handles are Catriona, so my weird spelling name, C-A-T-R-I-O-N-A-L-D for LeMaydone. So uh, yeah, I just kind of post my dogs, my kids, my life and everything I'm doing. Well, that sounds wonderful. And I'll make sure, sure to share that in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining me, Katrina. It was really great to connect with you. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Part-Time Jungle Podcast. I'm your host, Tiana Fesh. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Part-Time Jungle and on my website, www.theparttimejungle.com. I would love if you would subscribe to, rate, and review this podcast. Your feedback and support are so appreciated. See you next time where we will continue to explore the motherhood jungle together.